David returned to bless his household. But Michal, the daughter of Saul, came out to meet David and said, How the king of Israel honored himself today, uncovering himself today before the eyes of his servants' maids, as any vulgar fellow might shamelessly uncover himself. David said to Michal, It was before the Lord, who chose me in place of your father and all his household, to appoint me as prince over Israel, the people of the Lord, that I have danced before the Lord. I will make myself yet more contemptible than this, and I will be abased in my own eyes. But by the maids of whom you have spoken, by them I shall be held in honor. And Michal, the daughter of Saul, had no child to the day of her death. Michal, the daughter of Saul, is an extraordinary biblical figure. Just that scene where she stands up to her husband and criticizes him publicly tells me that she really has some courage. David doesn't seem to have been the kind of man to take criticism lightly, after all. But I really get the impression that Michal was at the breaking point when she did that. It says that she was upset with him because she saw him dancing in public, but there must have been a bit more to it than that. I think that maybe the dancing was just the proverbial straw that broke the camel's back. But to understand that, you need to hear the whole story of Michal. This is Retelling the Bible. Episode 5.20 The 100 Foreskin Princess Michal had spent the morning getting ready. She had risen early and taken a bath. Then she had sat while her servants plaited her hair and painted her face. This was an important occasion, and she was very much concerned that, as the first wife of the king, she enhanced the decorum and the ceremony of it all. Her husband, King David, was finally doing something that he had meant to do for a very long time. It had been a number of years now since he had established his new capital in the city of Jerusalem. But today, David was going to bring the most important symbol of the presence of Yahweh with the people of the tribes into his city. The Ark of the Covenant had been the sign of the presence of Yahweh with the people for more generations than anyone could remember. When the people went to war, they took the great golden box with them, and it gave resolve to the fighters 
and victory to the tribes. It was a talisman of great power, and in many ways, by bringing it to the city, David was consolidating his rule over all the tribes. So, Michal had a very firm idea of how the arrival of the ark into the city needed to go. It should be a solemn and formal occasion with prayers and sacrifices. And so she was determined that, as queen, she would be this shining figure that the people would look to. She intended to awe everyone with her solemn appearance. So finally, everything was ready, and Michal carefully spread her skirts around her as she sat by the main window of the palace that looked out onto the road that approached the palace, and she waited for everything to begin. She expected to hear the sounds of trumpets, and maybe some harps and lyres being played in formal tones as the procession approached. She strained her ears as she listened for such a sound. But there was such a god-awful noise coming from the streets below, and she couldn't hear any of it. It sounded as if someone was holding a street fair, with the sound of wild peasant flutes and timbrels and drums. And then there were the voices lifted up in what might have been meant to be singing, but sure sounded a whole lot more like shouting and arguing. What were those fool peasants doing down there, making that awful noise. If they didn't watch out, they would spoil the whole atmosphere of this wonderful occasion. She was about to call for the palace guards and send one of them to go down and investigate the disturbance when the leading vanguard of it actually came into view on the street below. To her horror, she saw that the very thing that she had been waiting for had arrived. At the very center of the noisy knot of people and musicians, she saw the sun glint off of the side of the great golden box. Several priests were doing their very best to carry the ark with all due ceremony all around them there was this chaotic mess of wildly gyrating bodies. Worst of all, she saw just in front of the ark, as it moved forwards, a complete and utter madman. He had thrown off all of his clothes and was dancing naked in the streets with absolute wild abandon. He moved about as if he had allowed the music to take control of him, if you could call it music at all. He looked as if he might be under the influence of one of those 
strange substances that the prophets sometimes use to induce their ecstatic states. She felt embarrassed for the man, and for anyone who might be associated with him in any way. She was about to turn away, in complete and utter disgust, when something struck her about the madman. There was something familiar about him, and so she looked closer at his crazed visage. She felt a sudden numbness spread through her body as the realization set in. She was looking at the face of her husband. There had been a time when Michal had looked at that face with nothing but admiration and excitement. She had also looked on his most foolish antics with open admiration. She had been little more than a girl in her father's household, and David was the rising star among the mighty men of King Saul. He was ruddy and handsome, and Michal thought of nothing but him, as, frankly, did most of the young women in her father's household. Yes, yes, it was flighty and it was immature, but in her defense, she was still a girl at the time. She went and told her father that if she wasn't able to marry David, she would die. Her father laughed at her and patted her head and told her to go play with her dolls. He said he would never have that David as his son-in-law. But Michal would not give up. She stopped eating. She walked around as if she was in a trance all the time. Her father grew angry with her and told her to stop. But she insisted that there was only one thing that could break her out of her mood. Then, one day, Saul seemed to change his mind. He called her into his presence and told her that he had offered her hand to David. Michal was so happy that she nearly jumped with joy. Don't celebrate too quickly, my dear, Saul warned her. We shall see if your David can come up with the bride price. Michal froze, immediately expecting some deception on her father's part. Bride price? But what kind of bride price could David pay? He is but the youngest son of his family and has no property. Oh, <laughs> laughed the king, don't you worry about that one little bit. I've already negotiated with him a price that he can pay, if he dares. That was all that Saul would say. 
but he certainly seemed very pleased with himself. Michal did come to understand why later when she finally heard, through the palace rumor mill, what price Saul had actually negotiated with David. The king had graciously allowed David to pay him for his daughter in foreskins, one hundred of them to be exact, specifically one hundred Philistine foreskins. Everyone understood what the intent of this was. Saul fully expected that David and anyone he could persuade to fight with him would be no match for the well-trained and better-armed Philistines. Saul fully expected that he would never have to see David again, at least not unless his companions somehow managed to bring back his mangled body. Michal heard the story sometime later. She would have loved to have been there in her father's hall when David and his remaining companions strode in. They carried between them several cloth bags, and each one was soaked red with blood that also dripped onto the floor. The bags contained 100 Philistine foreskins, and they were poured out before the feet of the king as if they were tribute being piled up by some foreign dignitary. It was said by many that David and his friends had been a bit excessive in how much they cut off the pieces of flesh, in many cases cutting off far more than was strictly necessary. And they said that they would not soon forget the sight of that growing pile of Philistine manhood. Perhaps because David had been so excessive in what he cut off, it was also said by some that he had produced many more foreskins than had been asked of him. Some said maybe twice as many. But this was not true. It was just the sort of exaggeration you got in these kinds of stories. In any case, the tale of the 100 foreskins was more than enough to make Michal's eyes flash and her heart fill with pride to think of the incredible feat of bravery that had been accomplished to win her hand. It was only somewhat later that she began to wonder about the idea of her personal worth being weighed out in the form of bloody piles of flesh. Marriage to David was not exactly everything that the naive girl had imagined it would be. David remained the handsome and daring warrior he had always been, but he showed very little interest in really getting to know the woman that he had married. 
He was very much more interested in spending his time with his fellow warriors. In particular, her brother, Jonathan. The two of them would be out at all hours of the night, drinking and doing only Yahweh knew what else together. Though Michal had her suspicions. And yet, Michal took the promises she had made very seriously. She wanted to make it work between her and David. And so when she heard from her friends and companions that her father still had it out for David and was looking for some way to bring about his death, she felt there was no question for her where her loyalties lay. She would choose her husband over her father, if it came to that. It did come to that. And Saul didn't even try to hide his plans from his daughter. One night, he sent his men to surround David and Michal's house. They had been given clear orders that they must not allow the young man to leave the house alive in the morning. All of the servants were aware of it, and they let their mistress know. And so Michal did not hesitate. She went directly to David and told him that his life was in danger. If you do not save your life tonight, tomorrow you will be killed. She also had a plan. She took a rope, and telling nobody else, she let him down out of a window. While he fled, she looked around their bedchamber. In the corner stood a teraphim. It was a statue of El, the god for whom Michel had been named, and it had been given to her at her wedding. It was about the size of a man. Michal moved quickly, dragging the idol over to the bed. She laid it out and then looked around for something to camouflage the head. There was a rough quilt woven out of goat hair nearby. It was about the color of David's hair. So she grabbed it and rolled it in a ball and placed it over the head of the statue. Finally, she grabbed a blanket and threw it over the teraphim to complete the image of her sleeping husband. She briefly considered rigging up a rope and pulley system to run between the statue and the door of the chamber that would make it move when the door was opened and perhaps trigger a tape recorder to play the sound of David's snoring. But then she remembered that she had never seen the movie Ferris Bueller's Day Off and didn't know what a tape recorder was. She had just finished her handiwork when her father's men came bursting into the room. They ran right over to the bed, and it took them about two seconds to figure out that the carved wooden figure in the bed was not David, 
It all looked pretty bad for Michal, of course. And they dragged her off to her father's house. Saul was livid that David had escaped him again. And he screamed at his daughter for what he saw as her betrayal of him. But whatever else she was, Michal had become a pretty good actor. She wept and managed to turn very pale as she spun a frightening tale. She somehow convinced her father that David had threatened her, had said that he would kill her if she didn't help him escape. What was Saul to do? He had to believe his own daughter. So, for the first time since they had been married, Michal and David were parted for a long time. For years, in fact. They were very difficult years. The court was constantly buzzing with news about David and his exploits. Since Michal had helped her husband escape, King Saul had dropped all pretense and declared open war against his former servant. So every clash between the two sides was told and retold with sensationalized details. People delighted, for example, in the story of the time when Saul went into a cave to relieve himself, and it just happened to be the same cave where David was hiding out. No one was sure if it had really happened, of course, but it certainly made for a funny story told at late-night wine parties. Michal heard those stories, but those were not the details that particularly interested her. She was more interested in some of the personal stories she heard about her husband. She heard about how he had married another woman named Abigail. According to one story, he had even murdered the woman's husband to do it. That little piece of news hurt her more than she wanted to admit. But she tried to comfort herself by remembering that David had killed a hundred men for her. It didn't help. Another day she heard of yet another marriage that David had contracted with Ahinoam of Jezreel, and she wept and refused all food for a whole week. And then came the day when Saul sent for her. He had refused to speak to her or even have her in his sight for weeks because he didn't want to be reminded that his great enemy was actually his son-in-law. But he had finally decided to do something. So he called Michal before him and tersely informed her that she was no longer married to David. He had decided to give her to Paltiel, son of Laish of Galim, instead. He told her that Paltiel and his father 
were waiting outside. She was to grab a few personal items and go with them immediately. Michal was devastated. But one look at her father's face convinced her that there was nothing that she could say or do that would make any difference. She left silently and went to meet her new husband while the tears flowed down her face. But then something surprising happened when Michal went to the home of Peltiel. She knew nothing about him, apart from the fact that he was not David. She didn't want to like him. She didn't want to think anything about him at all. But he surprised her. Palti, as she came to call him, was kind. Even more surprising, he actually seemed to like her and to see her as someone whose thoughts and opinions mattered. He respected her and her wishes. She was amazed when one night she just said as a passing thought that she wasn't sure that she felt up to being intimate with him. He didn't force her or even try to persuade her. He just withdrew saying that he would be happy to wait until she was ready. Michal honestly couldn't believe it at first, couldn't believe that a man could be thoughtful or caring in dealing with his wife. David had never treated her that way. If anything, he treated her as a a valuable possession, one that he had purchased for the bargain price of 100 foreskins. Now, I'm not going to say that Michal felt any particular attraction to her new husband. He certainly did not have the ruggedly handsome appearance that David had had. And he never excited her in the admittedly troubling way that David had. But she did find a comfort and peace with him that she had never known before. Not in her father's house and certainly not in David's. I think that was one of the things that helped her to start looking at her previous marriage just a bit differently. When Michal heard the news that her father and her brother Jonathan were dead, killed in a massive battle against the Philistines, she wasn't sure how she felt. She had never felt as if either one of them really cared about her, apart from whatever wealth or political capital they could get through her. She mostly felt numb and lost 
because she did not know what would become of her now. Saul's kingdom, what remained of it, had passed to his son Ishbaal. But nobody seemed to expect that he would hold on to it for very long. David, his greatest enemy now defeated, was on the move, and everyone expected him to claim the kingdom sooner or later. In the end, it was Abner, King Saul's old war leader, who brought about the change in government by betraying Ishbaal. But, apparently, David required one thing in order to ensure a somewhat peaceful transfer of power. He sent a message to Ishbaal, whom he insultingly called Ishbosheth, the man of shame. He demanded the return of his wife. David wanted back his 100 foreskin princess. When Michal received the message from her brother, Ishbaal, she knew that there was nothing that she could do. There was no point in complaining or resisting. She shed no tears, and even put on a smile as she bid her husband, Palti, goodbye. But inside, she felt as if the last spark of life and hope were being snuffed out inside her. Palti could not find it in himself to be so stoic. He began to weep and cry out and declare that he could not live without his beloved Michal. When Abner came and took her away in a cart, Palti walked behind the cart with his clothes ripped and dust upon his head almost all the way to Ishbaal's house, until finally Abner, thoroughly disgusted with the man's behavior, forced him to go away. Michal felt badly for her. She supposed he was now her ex-husband. She knew that no one would respect him for such a display because it was not considered to be seemly for a man to show such emotion over a woman of all things. But she loved him for it and would never forget his kindness. And so now, over a year later, she sat at the window and watched as David pranced around in all his naked glory. Yes, he might still be able to get the serving girls to bat their eyes at him and jump into his bed at a word. He might still be able to strike terror into his enemies in battle. But in that moment, she decided that David was nowhere near the man that Paltiel was. When she thought of the unswerving devotion she had given to him, 
even at the risk of her own life, and of how little he had given back, as she realized that he saw her as nothing more than something he had purchased a long time ago for 104 skins, a possession of his that clearly meant a whole lot less than that golden box he was dancing for. She felt nothing but disgust when she looked at him. She vowed that day that she would never allow David to share her bed again. Now, that is not the kind of vow that any woman could make lightly. She knew that David could enforce his will in such a matter, and there was nothing that she could do about it. But she was not a woman without her resources, and she would make sure that her decision stood. In this, at least, someone from Saul's family would have her way with David. She knew, of course, that this would only come at great cost to her, that she would never have a child now. But, as she looked at her disgusting excuse for a husband, she felt as if she could live with that. David's first wife, Michal, has an amazing story arc in the books of Samuel. She starts out as a girl who has a crush on an older man who sees her as an object that he simply wants to possess, but for whom he seems to care little personally. In the end, she becomes one of the few people who actually has the strength of character to deny David anything. So, in the end, and at various other points of her story, we do see that despite the fact that she is passed around among various men and traded like a commodity, she does have a strength of character that shines through. She was clearly a person of great value. I suspect that if no one else did, Paltiel saw the value that was in her. In the end, she certainly came to see that value in herself, and that is where it matters most. She learned that she was worth more than a hundred foreskins, oh, a whole lot more. That is it for this episode of Retelling the Bible. Please subscribe so you can get the next episode in a couple of weeks. If you like this episode, why not share it and the podcast with a friend? The theme music for the podcast is Ada. Uh, the mood music for this episode is Rains Will Fall. The music is by Kevin McLeod, is licensed under the Creative Commons, and can be found at incompetech.com. You can contact me on Twitter at Retelling Bible, on the Facebook page Retelling the Bible. Show notes for this episode have been posted at retellingthebible.wordpress.com. 
One final note. I am participating in an auction this week of September the 27th. There's a link in the show notes for this episode if you'd like to put in a bid. The winning bidder will be able to dictate to me any Bible story that you want me to tell in an upcoming episode. Bidding closes on October 2nd, 2021 at 9 p.m. Eastern Time. This is Retelling the Bible, and I have been your storyteller, W. Scott McCandless.